You're listening to Short Takes on Suicide Prevention, where experts talk to each other about how research is shaping suicide prevention. This podcast is brought to you by the VA Rocky Mountain Myrec. And now on to today's conversation. Welcome to today's episode. I'm your host, Dr. Edgar Burial. I'm the Director of Education and Training with the Rocky Mountain Myrick. June is PTSD Awareness Month. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with two individuals who are dedicated to supporting veterans recovery from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, both through the lens of research and lived experience. In this episode, we're going to chat about fitness and mental health and how exercise can lead to a better quality of life. It's my pleasure to welcome our two guests, veteran Adam Holt, the executive director of Outsiders Anonymous, and Daniel Rice, postdoctoral fellow and researcher with the Rocky Mountain Myrick. Adam, Daniel, welcome. Will you introduce yourself? Let's start with Adam. Uh, Thank you, Edgar. What an honor to be here. I am Adam Holt. I am a veteran, uh, served in the United States Army for eight years, but deployed to Afghanistan. When I got back from Afghanistan, um, I I had dealt with PTSD and and addiction, Um, and now I run an organization called Outsiders Anonymous. It is the, while there are a lot of uh, great organizations in Texas, it is the only free, 100% free gym in the state of Texas for veterans with PTSD and individuals in recovery from substance use. Well, thanks, Adam. Definitely looking forward to hearing more about the organization that you lead and the story and how you support veteran recovery. Uh, Daniel, do you want to introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, thanks, Edgar. My name is Daniel Rice. I'm one of the psychology postdoctoral fellows working at the Rocky Mountain Myrick along with Edgar. And my research is really focused on the role of lifestyle in mental health. And so looking at the ways that we live, you know, kind of how we are living in line with our environment or not living in line with our environment and how that affects, you know, our well-being and, and kind of our ability to cope day to day. And so, um, looking at areas like things like light exposure and activity and and how, you know, in particular interventions based around these concepts could be used to support veterans and and others who are uh, struggling with mental health problems or or just general other issues like that. Well, I mean, really excited to talk to you both. Sounds like you'll really bring a lot to the discussion as we try to uh, explore more about how fitness and mental health support each other. So uh, thank you both for being here. I, I wanted to, you know, just jump right in and get started with a question to you, Daniel. Your article recently published made the cover of the Federal Practitioner on Exercise to Reduce PTSD Symptoms in Veterans. So first of all, congratulations on that. Really appreciate your work. You know, we, we often hear that exercise has preventative and therapeutic effects in the civilian population. Can you tell us why this line of research is important? Well, thanks for that, Edgar, and really excited to have been able to do this study and and glad that it's found a home. Uh, And one of the major reasons that we were interested in doing this review in order to understand, you know, how exercise might be helpful for PTSD um, in veterans is, is, you know, there are there are existing treatments that can work really well for PTSD, you know, veterans, for instance, the VA 
therapies like cognitive processing therapy or prolonged exposure, they can work and, and they work really well. Um, but the thing is they don't work for everyone for various reasons. And we can see that even in the studies that are evaluating how these treatments are actually playing out in healthcare. Um, you can see things like high dropout rates, which you know is, can be a sign that the treatment isn't well aligned for that individual. It's not something that that's working for them. And these dropout rates can be high. You know, They can be upwards of 50% or so. And so I think what this really highlights is that you know this one size approach or this one-size-fits-all approach or mentality to, to mental health treatment um, isn't something that's going to be successful in the long term. And looking for alternative treatments, things that can really meet people with you know, what's going to work for them and, and where they're at is really important. And, and in particular, we're seeing a lot of interest in these complementary and alternative treatments, uh, you know, of which exercise is one. And really seeing that exercise, you know, it's well known that exercise can have a whole host of benefits for physical health. And increasingly, we're seeing that that research emerged that mental health, you know, we're all part, it's part of the same system and we can, we can really get effects here. And so thinking about exercise as a really leading complementary approach that, you know, is something that, that involves a lot of different things that can work for a lot of different people and can have a lot of effects uh, just for the body as kind of a wholeness and wellness concept in general. So really interested in understanding, you know, where is the literature at with this? What's the evidence base so that we can, we can see what needs to be done and, and where we, where we have enough support to take this moving forward forward. That's really interesting, Daniel. And, and I really like what you highlighted that one size does not fit all, right? That we really want to meet people where they're at and be able to uh, develop options that allow us to meet the different needs of individuals that might be um, supporting their recovery in different ways. So, uh, you know, really uh, sounds like there's already a lot of work being done here and, 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 and I really appreciate you kind of bringing in that perspective. Now, when we talk about preventative and therapeutic effects, can you tell us a little bit more about what, what, what that means? What's the difference between both of them? Uh, when we're talking about prevention, we're really thinking of, you know, something, do, starting something before any kind of problem emerges as a way of, of getting ahead of it. It's like preventative maintenance for a car or a vehicle, you know, by putting, by, by implementing these processes ahead of time um, can just kind of keep, keep the system healthy and keep the person healthy. Uh, whereas, whereas we're talking about more treatment interventions, it's more coming in once that problem, a problem has been identified and, and come up, for instance, you know, thinking about prevention, using exercise as a way to reduce the risk for developing post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD after a traumatic uh, exposure, uh, and also using exercise as a treatment. So once PTSD has, has emerged, using it to help deal with the symptom burden um, and restore the person to the kind of healthy life that they're looking to live. Great. No, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned in the article, um, as you're looking at the benefits of, of exercise, is that you were really interested in seeing if these benefits extended to the veteran population, especially because there's more unique experiences and what we call comorbidities. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means and what makes studying the effects of exercise on the veteran population more challenging? I think in general, you know, we, we come up with these research findings. We're using we're using samples of, of participants who are willing to share their time for research, um, and oftentimes conclusions can get can get really generalized. And one thing that we can see increasingly in research is that you know 
that's not necessarily the case. And so it's important to really, you know, look at the populations that we're seeking to help, you know, in particular veterans. Um, and veterans, like you were mentioning, can have really unique trauma exposures that, that civilians aren't being exposed to. You know, for instance, combat is, is one of the main ones that, that comes to mind. Um, and as you said, you know, oftentimes veterans, um, through through the kind of things that, that they may be exposed to and, and, and kind of those experiences can have a lot of either physical or mental health comorbidities. When we say comorbidities, um, we mean just the presence of other diseases or illnesses or disorders. And, you know, that can kind of just make from a treatment perspective, from even a prevention perspective, uh, just, just different considerations. And so really thinking about, uh, if we're thinking about health as kind of this whole function, really thinking about helping the person uh, from, a, from a broader perspective, we need to consider more than just narrowing down on one specific disorder like PTSD. Another reason I'm excited about exercise is it's something that has really broad effects on the body and the mind. And so it can make it such a natural fit for, for addressing um, multiple, from multiple, you know, comorbidities at the same time, physical and mental health. And, and can you tell us, you know, what types of exercise were reviewed across the studies? Now, full disclosure, my extent of exercising is just walking a lot. And I can imagine that different people have different approaches of how they stay active. So can you tell us a little bit more about what types of exercises were reviewed? Absolutely. And, you know, just to, just to preface it, really, when we're talking about exercise, you know, the great thing is it, it can mean so many different things. And so walking can certainly be a great form of exercise, you know, really thinking about the physical activity. Um, however, however it works for you to get that can be what's most important. In terms of, you know, specific studies that we were able to find that were specifically looking at some kind of physical activity-based intervention. And, that, and that's the definition we used for looking for these studies was broadly, you know, any kind of physical-based intervention that was kind of designed to, to kind of provide a therapeutic effect. Um, and, and we did see we did see kind of a range of it. You know, there, there were two different study types that we were looking at in this review. Um, there were the, the single arm studies, as we call them, which were really just the, there, there was only a single treatment group. There wasn't a comparison group. Most of those tended to use yoga interventions. Uh, and then there were these, what we call the randomized control trials, where it was specifically, there were two there was, there was an exercise intervention and a, a comparison control intervention. Participants were randomized to one or the other. And we saw more variability in terms of the exercise. There were only three studies that we were able to find for this review. Um, and each one kind of took a different approach to exercise. The largest went with yoga also, kind of a holistic yoga approach. Uh, another one went with an integrated exercise. So kind of, you know, combining different modalities of exercise, things like aerobic or, or, or weightlifting. And then the third study did the same thing is to com specifically combine strength training and aerobic exercise for their intervention. And what did you notice in, in terms of you, you talked about the effect sizes? How are these findings similar or different than what is being seen in civilian samples? Because you all were specifically looking at uh, studies that focused on veteran samples. In terms of kind of the magnitude of the effect or thinking about, you know, what degree of symptom reduction did we see, really did see that this effect was in line with what we're seeing uh, with regards to exercise and civilians and, and combined kind of studies or meta reviews as well. And so really just right up there in terms of offering this moderate benefit. Now, that being said, you know, a moderate benefit, you know, it's not as large as we would like to see, would love to see much larger and stronger effects. But again, you know, I'm thinking that we're looking at an average effect here and certainly going into more individualized treatment, you know, exercise is going to work great for some people, probably not going to work great for, for others. And, and we're, we're seeing that in, in these overall effect sizes. But what is 
great to have noticed here is that we're seeing effect sizes in line with what we're noticing for, for other treatment approaches. So certainly, you know, supports exercise just as well as you might see, you know, other approaches, including therapy um, or medications. Now, that being said, some of those, those kind of gold standard treatments I mentioned earlier, like prolonged exposure, cognitive processing therapy, um, for people who it does work with, it tends to have larger effects. And were there any similarities that you all noticed in terms of how often people exercise versus how long that could help further explain the findings? In general, I think most, you know, at, the, at a minimum, we were looking at about an hour once a week in terms of the more active parts of the intervention. Uh, interestingly, most of the interventions also had a kind of do it at home component also. So, you know, providing more of a lead activity uh, once or twice or a few times a week, and then also offering materials to support the person doing the exercise at home. Um, in general, like I said, about an hour once a week, some, some certainly did increase it to multiple times a week. Uh, in general, again, we're seeing fairly similar, I'd say, effect sizes across those, meaning that we do see that things with different durations um, tend to work. Now, that being said, these, these interventions did go on for at least a few months. And so some, some evidence there that you do want to you know, get into that routine and, and have some of that longer term exercise to see the effects. No, that's really interesting, Daniel. And, and hang in here with us for just a bit, because I'm going to transition now over to Adam, who, who's going to be able to provide uh, to us a little bit more information from the perspective of someone who offers these options and, and has an organization that's dedicated to really offering these opportunities for people that are trying to support recovery in this way. Uh, just out of full disclosure, before I, I, I uh, turn over to you, Adam, I wanted to let the audience know, you know, how we how we came to be here, how we know each other. Uh, Adam and I ha actually went to undergrad together back in what 2001, 2003, Three. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been so long. I, I don't want <laughs> right. to uh, talk about dates, but you know, it just so happens that you know, since we were undergrads, we were both a part of the Texas A&M Corps of Cadets, which is uh, an Army ROTC program, and uh, we just took both different routes. Adam went on to go into active duty service, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about his experience while I moved on to, you know, join the field of mental health. And it just so happens that our, our paths are converging again, and we're both supporting mental health in different ways. So Adam, really great pleasure to have you here and to reconnect with you in this way. So thanks again for being here with us. Oh, well, Edgar, it's it's uh, my honor. What Edgar or what Dr. Villarreal didn't mention is that um, part of my story involves um, some pretty dark paths and suicide attempts. And um, there was a point where everything was black and I had nothing. And the only person that would answer the phone was Edgar. Um, and, and I am here today because of him. So it is a little deeper relationship than just going to school together. So thank you, Edgar. Absolutely. No, thank you for sharing that. And, and you know, I'll always, always appreciate the, the moments that we've had together and, and just happy that, that I've been able to support you and, and that we've been able to maintain our friendship for as long as we have. You know, since, since you brought up the, the topic of, you know, what your journey has looked like, I, I wanted to see if you could share with us what does lift experience and recovery mean to you? Well, I think it 
especially for me, um, recovery just means uh, a removal from a hopeless state of mind and body. And for me, that looks very complicated because although I struggled with addiction and substance use prior to my time in the military, the deployment to Afghanistan really exacerbated a lot of those issues. So I deployed to Afghanistan in 2010 through 2011. And while I was over there, some things happened and I came back and it was very hard processing some of those things. And I managed to begin the route of processing those through substance use, through alcoholism. My marriage fell apart. Within a few years, I was homeless. I'd been in multiple psychiatric facilities, uh, attempted suicide. Um, I, I was on the cusp of being a statistic, uh, like so many veterans. But, or and, I have since, through a big part, through physical fitness, found recovery, and I no longer uh, am at risk for a lot of those statistics. Uh, now I consider myself a statistic on the other side. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Adam. And, you know, you mentioned there at the end the 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 role that exercise has played now when you look back at your journey you know when did you begin to notice that you wanted to use exercise as a way to support your recovery was that something that was intentional or did it just did you just kind of fall fall into that as a uh, as a as a resource for support it's a great question edgar and i think it's a little bit of both so when my recovery, both from substance use and from um, PTS symptoms, started to take root. Um, I was still homeless, but I found my way into a halfway house. And then from there, I was housed in a small apartment in North Austin. And literally 20 feet from my apartment door was one of the oldest, dirtiest, nastiest gyms in the entire city. Um, and I went and I talked to them. I told them my situation and they gave me a free membership. And at the time, um, my sponsor and um, also my, my therapist at the VA, they both told me I need to just run from relapse. And I was just so desperate for anything to work that I, that I actually took them serious. So I'd go run on the green belt when I had a craving, even if it was at two in the morning. And then eventually uh, I started going to the gym and I would go um, lift weights or if they were closed, because a lot of times these symptoms come in the dark of night. They had a tire out back and I bought a sledgehammer and I would just go and I would beat on that tire and I would flip that tire. And, and over time, I noticed that not only were my symptoms going away, but I was actually able to sort of experience a lot of emotions uh, that I wasn't able to experience earlier in my recovery journey prior to incorporating exercise. So it, it does sound like it's a little bit of both. It sounds like you were given that opportunity and then you ran with it, literally. I did, literally. It, it sounds like it just opened a door. It, it really kind of allowed you to release. And, you know, Adam, I've always known you to be a very active person. I can remember back in undergrad, not to take our audience through memory lane, but you, you ran, you know, triathlons. You were a triathlete and I've always known you to be uh, a runner. So I, I know exercise has always played a big role in your life. So could you speak to the role that exercise and physical fitness 
typically plays in a veteran's life prior to separating from military service? Yeah, I think uh, for, for most veterans, uh, I, true for me, of course, um, physical activity in the army or in the military is generally a requirement or a chore. It's something that we have to do, something that we're required to do and that we all suffer through. And so it's easy to burn out from that type of physical activity. Um, when you get out of the military, people want to stop running. They want to grow their beards and hair out and just rebel against these things that they were forced to do. So I, I think that in the military, it's very, very structured. Yeah. And it sounds like it's kind of more like a, a means to an end that it's a, it's a part of your job and it becomes a part of what's expected of you. And in, in the military, were you already getting messages that exercise and physical fitness was meant to support mental health or did that come after you maybe separated from the military? So I got out of the military in 2012 and I don't know if my entire eight years in, I heard the words mental and health in the same sentence. Um, and so I, I don't know if there was a, as much of a focus on that. Things might be different now, but at the time, I don't think there was. And what role do you think exercise now plays for either yourself or other veterans after the military? Well, I think you said it very well as how exercise was a means to an end. And essentially, it, it still is but it's an end of my choosing. Um, and so I have these symptoms associated with PTSD. I have these um, experiences associated with addiction um, and, and all these struggles I've been through. And the goal, the end goal that I want is to not have to live with those impacting my life as much. And so when I look at it in that way, using physical fitness as a means to that end allows me to sort of capture a lot of the things that we experienced in the military that were ingrained deep inside my bones in the military and utilize them now as a benefit to my life. Yeah. And I mean, to take it a little bit beyond that, because it's not a, I think uh, a benefit to your own life. And I really, you know, resonate with that idea that it's uh, an ends of your own choosing, right. That you're using it to support something that is, is important and meaningful to you, but you're, you're doing that to, to help other people. So tell us about Outsiders Anonymous. Outsiders Anonymous originally started as a culmination of a few years of research at UT, just looking at the biological effects of physical activity in the brain during early recovery. And although it's very difficult to demonstrate because of a lot of confounding effects, as Dr. Rice um, mentioned, uh, associated with physical activity. The biological effects on the neurotransmitters and a lot of dop dopamine receptor sites in early recovery um, are just astounding. And so we, we, we established Outsiders Anonymous because we were armed with this information that it's a key to allow people in recovery from PTSD, allow people in recovery from substance use, to take control of their lives, to experience emotions in order to act as a complementary approach to traditional therapies. Um, and so we started Outsiders Anonymous just in a park. It was just me with uh, some kettlebells and a good attitude and most days. And people started coming, COVID happened, and yet we sort of persevered through that 
And just about two weeks ago, we opened the first 100% free fitness center in the state of Texas. Um, and we're trying to create an active sober community here in our county, just south of Austin. And so Outsiders Anonymous was born out of this like deep understanding of what fitness can do for people who are really struggling with trauma and with uh, substance use disorders. Really impressive and really exciting. Congratulations on being able to do that. I mean, what an amazing resource for for the community and for for veterans in your community. Now, you had mentioned that a, a part of what started Outsiders Anonymous is kind of this need to be able to support alternative treatment. Dr. Rice noted that in the article that veterans are demonstrating more interest in complementary and alternative treatments for PTSD. What what makes this appeal to you and other veterans? Why why are alternative treatments important? Well, yeah. So I think with fitness specifically, there are a lot of really uh, intrinsic benefits um, that might not be associated with other forms of treatment. Uh, With physical activity, you get the instant gratification, not only of completing something that you thought was unattainable, but you also get the instant gratification that comes with the neurochemicals that your body produces during physical activity. So it's, it's almost an immediate reward system where you work out and then you feel good. And another thing is that people can do it wherever they are. They can do it by themselves or in groups. And there's a wide range of physical activity modalities that people can engage in so that it really meets people where they are. If you're interested in heavy strength training, you can do that. If you're interested in just walking, we see benefits from just walking. And so it really is able to be flexible to the needs of any veteran uh, anywhere that they are. No, that's really helpful to hear. And, and I know I remember you mentioning that, you know, it's an immediate instant effect that sometimes people feel. When did you first start noticing the benefits of physical fitness in your own recovery? So I had been um, back from Afghanistan for three or four years using off and on trying to go to the VA to seek treatment. But the way I explain everything, it's, it's like I was seeing the world in grayscale and like nothing was exciting for me. Food didn't taste good. Movies weren't funny. It was just like life had this dull sheen to it. And then when I started working out again, when I started being active, it, it was almost as though life started having color back to it. And it's, and it's really hard to explain if you haven't experienced it. But like, I found myself laughing more. And I also, I found myself crying more. I found myself able to just experience emotions where I had almost turned those off for so many years. And so it, it, it really acted to allow me to experience life so that I could then show up and work through it. Sounds uh, not only powerful, but just you know, transformative. I mean, talk about it really opening doors and showing you a new perspective. And um, so you talked a little bit about how it's impacted you. Could you share with us what impact have you seen on the veterans that Outsider Anonymous serves? Well, a lot of veterans that come to us are very alone and very lost. Uh, I, I, I certainly know that I was. And so aside from all the benefits of physical activity that we've mentioned, what we try and provide is a community 
um, which is just another layer of something that physical activity can provide. If you go on a three mile ruck with someone, or if you are doing a brutal 30 minute workout with someone, if you are doing a partner workout or just engaging in physical activity with someone there with you, automatically you're suffering together, which breaks down these bonds, which creates a little fraction of what you experienced in the military. And so people are coming to us uh, just lost because they don't have that brother or sisterhood that they had in the military. And then we give them the ability to experience a little bit of that suffering so that they can be a part of a community. And so not only is the physical activity um, an aspect of it, it's sort of just the foot in the door to all the other underlying psychological benefits. Yeah, it sounds like really not only giving people the tools or the resources, but the connection, right? The shared experience of, you know, experiencing some of that heartache or some of that, uh, like you said, that suffering that you may have experienced in the military. How do you hope to grow and support this effort in the community? Well, I think that's... uh... That's pretty early for that question, Edgar. We we are very excited to to be where we are. Um, things have moved pretty fast, and being um, just just having been open for two weeks, we are very honored and blessed. Of course, we would love to grow um, and be able to have a facility where we can uh, host veteran events and um, do things like that. But I'll be honest unlike a lot of organizations, we're, we're pretty happy with where we are right now. And we're, we're very grateful to just be um, able to serve the community in the, in the areas that we are. Now, it sounds like you're, you're busy in a good way. There's a lot of good things to come. Uh, you know, hopefully you're, you're really kind of trailblazing there and, and, and setting a model for, uh, for others, not only in recovery, but also how we get to support veterans. So, you know, as we close, I have uh, one question for both of you. Are there any closing thoughts for veterans that might be listening to us today that are questioning how to support their recovery? And uh, Adam, I'll, I'll start with you. Yeah, you bet. So I, I know on this, uh, this podcast, I've, I've been sort of lighthearted and happy, but um, as I, as I'm sure many people um, that are listening to this, many individuals, um, I've experienced a, a darkness that is deeper than any black you can imagine. And there are people out there that know. Um, I have attempted suicide and just wanted it all to end. And I do not know if I would be the man I am today with kids and a wife and a business. I, I don't think I would even be alive today if it wasn't for the benefits that physical activity has had in my life. Um, and so I'm a very huge proponent of it. And it doesn't have to be some brutal hour and a half CrossFit workout. Um, just going for a walk will change someone's life. And so if someone is listening and if they feel all alone right now, um, just the aspect of going out for a walk and maybe saying hello to someone will change your life. And so um, I, I really encourage people to incorporate physical activity into their recovery program as a complimentary approach. Um, it, it saved my life and I'm sure it can save yours. Thanks, Adam. A really important message there of, you know, of hope and staying engaged and staying connected. 
and then finally, Daniel, any any closing thoughts on your end? I think really just to second what Adam is saying, and you know, from the research perspective, it it really is that there are there are more options, and I think typically get get portrayed in terms of uh, treatment approaches, things that that can help boost mental health, things that can target PTSD. You know, we're seeing that with exercise. You know, it is it is something that that can work great for people, um, and and just seeing that you know there there's a lot of different treatment modalities, and finding what works for you. Um, May may take a little bit of time, but but it really there are a lot of options out there that that can be explored, even if we don't give that the attention, the the number of options, the attention that we should sometimes. Absolutely, there's there's definitely many more options than than what people may realize. So I, I appreciate you uh, putting that plug in for those options, Daniel. Well, you know that takes us to the end of our episode today. Again, I wanted to take the opportunity to thank both of you, Adam and Daniel, for the important work that you're doing and and bringing awareness to mental health, uh, bringing awareness to suicide and post-traumatic stress disorder and, and, and being able to support veteran recovery in different ways. So thank you both for being here today with us. Thanks for having me, Edgar. It was such an honor to uh, work with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me as well. And thank you to our audience for tuning in today. Thank you so much for joining us. That's it for this episode. You can find more short takes on your favorite podcasting app. And if you like what you hear, subscribe to the show and give us a review. Until next time, you can follow us on Twitter at rmyrec. We'll see you then. Take care. Short Takes on Suicide Prevention is an informational podcast and not a substitute for mental health care. If you are having an emergency, call 911 or reach out to the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. And for veterans or service members, press 1. This podcast does not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Veterans Affairs or the United States government.